0: The music is provided by Calvary Quartet. You can have more of their music at calvaryquartet.com or log on to our website at gospelbaptistchurch.com. I can still recall the day Saved my soul when his blessed Holy Spirit came and took control. I trusted in his precious blood, my sin to atone. And I started singing. Uh, I want to share with you tonight a message from. uh, just, just one verse, and then we're going to turn to another passage and read several verses, so keep your Bible handy. But in the 20th chapter of the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 20, uh, beginning with verse 17, and I'm not going to read all of it, just re- read this one verse. And, uh, but verse 17 says, And from Miletus he, which is talking about Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church, uh, Paul is on his way back to Jerusalem, and uh, now he has stopped here. He does not go back to Ephesus, but he has stopped on this island of Miletus, and uh, he got the a call for the elders of the church at Ephesus, which was not too far from Miletus, and uh, they all came, and then uh, he rehearsed with them some of the great, great truths, and he told them how God led him there, Uh, what his ministry was while he was there. Uh, He encouraged the pastors to feed the flock of God. He he told them, he warned them of uh, bad things that would happen from without and from within and so forth, and just a lot of great stuff. In fact, uh, it it is probably the best passage as far as church planning is concerned in the whole Bible. It's just a wonderful passage. Uh, So I won't get into it if I do. I won't have time to tell you what I want to really say tonight, okay? Uh, now, after he had done all of this, and, and he knows now that uh, this will be the last time he will ever see those believers there at Ephesus, uh, the, the, the leaders there from the church at Ephesus, and he is warning them, he is exhorting them, he is encouraging them and so forth, and I want you to notice the very last thing that he said to them. Look down at verse 35, Okay. And here Paul says, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than receive. Now think about this. The very last exhortation that he gave to those people was this. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, how he said, it is more blessed to give than receive. Would you like to say that with me tonight? Just he said, okay? He said, it is more blessed to give than receive. Now, you did pretty good, then. okay? One more time. And he said, it is blessed... Okay, I'll do it right this time, okay? Let's all do it right, okay? And he said... It is more blessed to give than to receive. Uh, We do not know when Jesus made this statement. You you can search the scriptures, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. uh, You will not find, even in all of the parables, that he taught about materialistic things. And by the way, he taught many of those parables just to teach the people how to use materialistic things and so forth. But but it's not recorded in Matthew, it's not recorded in Mark, Luke, or John, either one. But since God the Holy Spirit led Paul to say that, and God the Holy Spirit led Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, to include it in the scripture, uh, then we can be sure that that somewhere along the line, when Jesus was teaching one day, uh, he made this statement, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And could I mention tonight that uh, people don't believe that? Uh, if you believe they do, I, I dare you sometime to uh, get-, get $100 and get you $25 bills and uh, go down to Walmart and stand out in front of Walmart and uh, say to the people as they come in, hey, I have a $5 bill in my hand. If you would like, I'll give you this $5. If you would rather, you can give me a $5 bill. And I guarantee you, you would give away those $25 bills in a hurry, okay? And you would not get one $5 bill back. It is more blessed to give than receive. And by the way, I believe that's true even in a one-time situation. But I believe as Jesus was teaching, saying it is more blessed to give than receive, I I think he's not talking about just a one-time gift, but I think he's talking about a lifestyle. And, And he's saying... Uh, The person that lives to give is happier than the person that lives to get. And by the way, uh, if you just live to give or to get, uh, the only time you're happy is when somebody is giving something to you. So you're dependent upon the action of others. But if you live to give, then you can always find somebody that needs something that you have. So Jesus made the statement, It is more blessed to give than receive. Now, when you hear a phenomenal statement of that nature, and every once in a while somebody will make just some phenomenal statement, and you always wonder, do they really know what they're talking about? For instance, several years ago we were in San Jose, California, and uh, there were three preachers and their wives, and the wives were shopping, the preachers were just mulling around, And we were walking down the uh, the mall, and we passed this stand out there, and they have all kinds of stands there. And this young fellow was telling the value of a certain salve that he had. And I walked past the young man, and I noticed his face was a mess, okay? And uh, so I went back to him, and I said, young man, do you use that salve? He said, oh, yeah, I use it every day, (laughs) you know. I didn't say this to him because I wanted to witness to him, okay, and it wouldn't have been bad. But all I could think of was, hey, if you use it, I don't think I want it. <laughs> I mean, he really did not, was not a good advertisement of what he was saying. Okay, I think about, about the question tonight. What did Jesus Christ know about giving? And just to ask the question is the answer it is it not. Uh, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, and oh, how rich he was, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be made rich. Think about it. Uh, Everything in the universe belonged to him. Uh, Colossians tells us that it was his by creation, And it was made by him, and it was made for him. In other words, everything belonged to him. And yet one day he left all of that and came to this earth and lived as a servant and suffered and bled and died on Calvary so we as sinners could be saved. And Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than receive. Let me give you a real simple testimony tonight of how God taught me to give. My wife and I got married at an early age, and I'll not tell you how old we were because some of you are about that age, and you're not old enough to get married, okay? And uh, we lived in Kentucky, and then we, we moved up to Gary, Indiana for, for work. And uh, we, as soon as we got up there, our pastor in Nortonville told us, now as soon as you get up there, you find a Baptist church and join it and so forth. And we did. We joined the Black Oak Baptist Church, and uh, we'd probably been members there maybe a month, maybe two months, something of that nature. But I'll never forget the, the morning that uh, uh, our pastor, Brother W. Jones, got up, and he, he read a passage uh, from Malachi chapter 3, and he, and he read the passage, uh, will a man rob God, yet ye have robbed me. And you say, when have we robbed thee? In tithes and in offering?" okay? And he said, bring you all the tithes in the storehouse, and and uh, prove me herewith, saith the Lord, of Hosts. if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you will not be able to receive. And he just went on, and, and he explained very plainly what the tithe was. Uh, they, and he explained that the tithe is one-tenth of everything that God gives you. And uh, he mentioned that uh, in the New Testament, the storehouse is the local church. So he said the tithe belongs to the Lord, and we give it to the Lord through our local church, and so forth. Very plain. And he mentioned several facts. Number one, he said, uh, if we do not tithe, we are robbing God. And when he said that, I, and I guess I'd heard a message like that before, but I, if I had, I, I didn't remember it. If I had, I was sleeping or something while the preacher was preaching, okay? But it, it never stuck. But but it, I got to listen to that thing, and, and I thought, good night. I wouldn't want to rob anybody, but I really wouldn't want to rob God. Uh, now, he didn't say that, but I thought a lot of times, uh, if a person doesn't tithe, they're not only robbing God, they're robbing themselves. Uh, because they're robbing themselves of the blessing that God has promised if they would tithe. And, and I listened to his message, and I thought, that's right, I'm going to do that. And uh, so when they gave the invitation, I went forward, and I said to Brother Jones, I said, Brother Jones, I've listened to your message today. I, I know you're preaching right out of the Bible and so forth, and I believe what you're preaching and I don't understand how I can do it and so forth, but God has spoken to my heart, and from this minute on, everything God gives me, I'll give at least one-tenth of that back to God through my local church. Just a simple commitment, okay? And by the way, uh, if God speaks to our heart and we make a commitment, uh, it's a good thing to tell somebody about it, amen? And it's good to come to the altar and pray about it and tell somebody about it. And, and, and Brother Jones, that morning, he knew that a young man had made a good decision. And so he said to the congregation, he said, Don has come forward today, and he has made a commitment to be a tither. Pray for him, okay? And by the way, when he said that, uh, the treasurer didn't jump up and say, well, praise God, now that Don's gone tithe, our financial problems are over. It was 1952. I was making less than minimum wage. I was making a dollar an hour. So my my whole salary for a week was $40. And every once in a while, I hear somebody say, well, good night. If my tithe was only $4, I wouldn't mind tithing. But when you only have $36 left, that's not much, is it? Okay. Then the point is this, okay. Uh, The commitment to tithe did not make an impact on the treasure of the Black Oak Baptist Church. But it made an impact on me. And it proved to me that if I do what God told me to do, that God would take care of me. Uh, now, when I first started tithing, it was very legalistic. If I worked overtime, if I worked 43 hours and made $43, I'd give $4.30. I did not want to overdo it, okay? And, and, and that's all right. You have to start somewhere. I'm not, I'm not knocking that, okay? You, you start somewhere, okay? Uh, and even, even today, I, I hear a lot of people ask legalistic questions of that nature, I don't know how many times somebody said to me, Brother Sis, uh, do you believe we ought to tithe off of our net income or our gross income? And I've heard that so many times I've got a good answer for it, okay? God has promised to bless us if we tithe, so we have to decide do we want God's net blessings or his gross blessings, okay? (laughs) So, uh, and and I'm not sure about you, okay? But uh, I think I'd rather have his gross blessings, okay? Now, that was in 1952. Uh, In 1968, we were home on furlough from Japan. And I was preaching in the Marquette Manor Baptist Church in South Chicago. It's in Downers Grove now, but in South Chicago there. Uh, Dr. Wayne Van Gilden was the pastor. And I preached Sunday morning, Sunday night. And and then on Monday night, Tuesday night, and Wednesday night, a preacher from Cicero Bible Church, uh, Dr. Billy McCarroll, came. And he was teaching that church about faith, promise, giving. Uh, I'd been a, a pastor for nearly 10 years before I went to Japan. I'd been in Japan for four years at that time. But, but I'd, I'd never heard the term faith, promise, giving. Knew absolutely nothing about it. But I listened to Dr. William McCarroll preach on Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. Uh, I was so intrigued from the time I heard it that uh, I ate lunch with him on, Monday, on Tuesday and and then again on Wednesday and so forth, and uh, got everything I could from him and so forth. And right away I realized, hey, this is wonderful. This is God's plan for financing world evangelization. And I can still remember him mentioning three things. Number one, he said faith promise is a simple plan. Uh, You have a mission conference. You have a mission emphasis. And then at the end of that, you ask every member of the church to make a commitment to give something every week Above the regular tithe and offering for world evangelization, that's simple enough, isn't it? And then he's mentioned it's a successful plan. And by the way, I like simple things. Uh, I, I, I know a lot of preachers have very difficult time preaching simple sermons. I've been preaching over sixty years. I've never had that difficult. I preach everything I know, and it's simple. Okay, but uh, then he said it's successful. And by the way, if you're going to do something, you might as well do it right, amen? It's successful. And he mentioned church after church after church that when they started, they used faith promise that they gave a very minimum amount to mission, and then it just grew and grew and grew and grew. And I could tell you hundreds of illustrations of that particular thing. The first time that I preached a mission conference at Lancaster Baptist Church, they were supporting two missionaries for $50 a month. And now... Uh, about 25 years later, uh, they're supporting 250 missionaries for $200 a month, and last year, their mission gave well over a million dollars. Now, they've grown numerically a little bit, okay, okay? But by the same token, you, I mean, uh, faith promise giving literally takes the limit off of what a church can do. You see, if you just uh, give out of your budget, then you're totally limited by the budget of your church. And And the wonderful thing about faith promise, and this is hard for some preachers to understand, The wonderful thing is when people begin to give by faith to mission, their regular giving increases also. So rather than the mission, the the regular offering decreasing, it nearly always increases. So he said it was simple, then he said it is successful, and then he said it is scriptural. And I thought, okay, it's good because it's simple, it's good because it's successful, but if it's really going to be successful anywhere in the world, then it needs to be scriptural. And by the way, Faith promise works anywhere in the world. I went back to my home church, Calvary Baptist Church, and I told my pastor, Brother Max Cannon, about what I had learned, and I was all enthused about it, and he said, okay, Don, I'll tell you what. When we have our mission conference this year, we're going to have Brother Ed Nelson preach for us, and said, before we have start the conference, you can teach our church about faith promise giving, and we will then uh, begin to use that. And and I taught the church, and I can remember uh, taking a slip, and I don't know the exact the kind of slip you use. Uh, I've got one from the last church I was in. But I took just a a little portion like that, and I remember filling it out. I told other people to do it. So I put on there, by faith in God, I promise to give $5 per week above my tithe and offering for world evangelization through Calvary Baptist Church. Now, you may be sitting there thinking tonight, well, that's not much faith, $5 a week. And uh, most missionaries won't even believe this, okay? But we were missionaries in Japan, and our total support was less than $500 a month. Uh, So it did take some faith. And so I I began to give by Faith Promise in 1968. Uh, We have our mission conference in October. October of last year, we made our 48th Faith Promise commitment. And every year for 48 years, we have been able to increase our Faith Promise giving. And a long time ago, The largest item in our budget every year has been faith, promise, giving. It works, okay? And by the way, it is more blessed to give than receive. And, uh, of course, at our church, we're always having some kind of special offering, okay? And we we participate, okay? And I hear people say, well, uh, this giving thing, there has to be an end to it somewhere. And by the way, there is. When God's resources runs out, it's all over, amen? <laughs> but you know something? We have not even begun to scratch the surface of God's resources. Now, I'm going to give you two simple things tonight. Number one, I want us to think about what is proper giving? How should we give? How should we give? And then number two, the results of proper giving. How should we give? Uh, in uh, First Chronicles chapter 29, uh, we have a perfect example, I believe, of how we should give. First Chronicles chapter 29, uh, David wanted to build a temple to the glory of God. Uh, David was a man of war, and, and God did not allow him to build a temple. But God said to David, I, I, I'm going to let your son build a temple And then he gave David the privilege of gathering together the material for the building of the great temple to God. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, we find the way they gave listed. I'm going to begin reading with verse 7, okay? And notice the Bible says in in 1 Corinthians 29, 7, and we're thinking now, what is proper giving? How should I give? Uh, Sometime this week, every member of Gospel Baptist Church will be asked to make a commitment to give something every week above your regular tithe and offering for world evangelization. Now, they are giving for the building of the great temple. That's a wonderful thing because God got all kind of glory from that. We are thinking about giving to build the church of God. I mean... Souls being saved all over the world. How should we give? Look at verse 7. And they gave for the service of the house of God, of gold five thousand talents, and ten thousand drams, and of silver ten thousand talents, and of brass eighteen thousand talents, and one hundred thousand talents of iron. Now, I'm not going to stop and try to explain what a talent is, what a dram is, and all that and so on and so forth, but somebody else has done it for me. Okay, and they say that if you put a present-day value on the gold and silver and iron and brass and so on and so forth that's mentioned in verse 7, it would come to well over a billion dollars. I believe if we put one word by verse 7, we could put the word generous, amen? It was a generous offering. By the way, If Wednesday night the faith promise is a billion dollars, that'll be generous, amen? But but let let me ask you to to really think about now. You're going to make a commitment this week. Uh, Really think about is what I'm thinking about giving, is what God is laying on my, is that really a generous offering? And by the way, the way you judge that is how much, Are you giving for the work of God, for world evangelization, in comparison to what you're giving for other things? And you think of the other things that we spend money for that really amount to absolutely nothing. Uh, Is the offering that you're thinking about giving now, is that really a generous offering? Then look at verse 8. And they with whom precious stones were found gave them to the treasure of the house of the Lord by the hand of Jehiel the Gishonite. Now, back, back in the first part of this chapter, uh, David is telling the people all that's needed for the building of the temple. And he mentioned the, the, the precious stones. And the Bible says here, those that had precious stones, they brought them. And David said, this is what's needed for the building of this great temple. And they went back to their house, and they began to look to see what they had. And by the way, they didn't say, well, here's some old cut glass jewelry that somebody gave me for a birthday, and I never did like it anyway. Uh, I'll give that. No, no. Look at it. They with whom precious stones were found. I mean, they gave the very best that they had. Uh, Another question, okay. Uh, How long has it been since you gave anything for the work of God that caused you to do without something you wanted or something that you needed. And I believe if we put a word by verse 8, we could put the word sacrificial gift. How did they give? They gave generously. How did they give? They gave sacrificially. Uh, By the way, their leader made this statement. I will not offer to God that which cost me nothing. It's what you're giving for the work of God. Is it causing you to do that something you may need or you may want? It was a sacrificial offering. Then notice, look at verse 9. Then the people rejoiced. By the way, they're not having a church picnic. Uh, they're, They're not having some kind of a party or something. They're having an offering, okay? And the people are coming with their offering, and they are rejoicing about it. And that's a wonderful thing, amen? They gave joyfully. Now think about it. Giving is not something I have to do. Now I really believe the tithe is a command of God, okay? In other words, if we do not give our tithe, we're actually robbing God. We're keeping for ourselves that which belongs to God. But giving is not a command. Giving is not something I have to do Giving is something I get to do, okay? So uh, these these people can, "Wow, wow, this is great. We're going to build this great temple for God, and I have something that can be used for that. And you and I, tonight, we can sit here, God is doing a great work all over the world, and I get to participate in that. I tell you, folks, God is doing some great things today. Many, many fields, souls are being saved by the hundreds and even thousands and so forth. And we were in the Philippines a few months ago, and, and what a wonderful meeting. Uh, pastors from 20 different countries from Asia was there. And a, a great meeting, and they went back encouraged to get more involved in giving and sending missionaries from their own churches and so forth. God is doing some great things. And you and I, through our mission giving, through our local church, We get to participate in that. And so the people, they they could just imagine, wow, this is wonderful. They're letting us do something for the building of this great temple. And God is allowing us to give something so the world can hear the gospel. And by the way, if God wanted to break off a hunk of gold from heaven and send it down here, and pay for all the missions in the world. He could do that, okay? It's not a matter of God needing money. It's a matter of us needing God and to do something for God. So they rejoice. And by the way, when you're giving, now the tithe belongs to the Lord. But when I give above my tithe and offering, what I'm really doing is I'm planting some seed. And uh, in the spring, when, when you plant a grain of corn, You don't put that grain of corn in the ground and think, well, that's the end of that. No. You put that grain of corn in the ground and you think, man, that's going to make a stalk of corn. And each of those corns are going to have at least two ears of corn. And each of those ears of corn will have about 750 grains of corn. And in the fall, I'm going to have 1,500 grains of corn from that one grain of corn planted. And when we're giving, we're planting. And when you give to the work of God, you don't say, well, that's the end of that. No, 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 no. You're planting a seed. And you may not re- re- reap the results until we get to heaven. But thank God, be not deceived. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Yeah. And so they rejoice, rejoicing. I was with a young pastor up in Kankakee, Illinois one time. And the uh, pastor said, uh, the, he said, uh, now we're going to take an offering, and if you can't give it joyfully, just keep it. And and I thought, that might be a little bit dangerous in a Baptist church, okay? And and years after that, I was with uh, Dr. Tom Wallace, who pastored at that time in Louisville, Kentucky, Beth Haven, Baptist church. And uh, uh, doc, Dr. Wallace said, now we're going to take the offering for missions tonight. The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver, but he'll take it from an old grouch, Okay. <laughs> And uh, I thought he might, but the old grouch will lose his reward, okay? How did they give? They gave sacrificially. They gave generously. They gave joyfully. And and then it said that they offered willingly. How did they give? They gave willingly. In other words, uh, David didn't have to beg him. Please do this, you know. Uh, If you don't, you're going, no, 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 nothing like that. All David did was just tell them about the need. And then the people, the, the, the Bible says they gave willingly. Uh, I heard a story years ago about a, a fellow that did lectures. And uh, to get the attention of people, he would take an orange, and he had a strong grip. on. He would take an orange, and he would squeeze that orange until uh, it was nearly pulverized. And then he would say, now, okay, now I'll give $20. Anybody can squeeze any more orange juice out of this orange. And night after night, people tried. Nobody could do it. So one night he did that in a little town. And a fellow sitting uh, close to the front there uh, said, let me try that. And he, he did, wasn't a very big man. He took the, didn't look so strong, but he took that orange, and he began to squeeze, and he began to squeeze, and, 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 and lo and behold, some orange juice came out. And the lecturer, he was amazed. He said, sir, what kind of work do you do anyway? And the fellow said, I'm a Baptist preacher, okay? <laughs> And sometimes we jokingly say that, but we don't have to beg people to give. You, you don't have to beg God's people to give. They they gave willingly. In other words, this is not something I have to do. This is something I get to do. And th- then after they had given that huge offering, uh, I, I want you to notice the words of David uh, d- down in verse 13. Now, therefore... Our God, we thank Thee and praise Thy glorious name. But who am I, and what is my people, that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of Thee, and of Thine own have we given thee. Well, you know what David said, <laughs> Lord, we hadn't done anything. They, they didn't hit him brag and say, "Wow, look at us." We gave a million dollars, we'll publish this all over the world. No, 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 no. He just said, Lord, all the glory and honor belongs to you. I mean, you know, we have absolutely nothing to boast about personally, other than boasting in God Almighty. So they gave humbly. Now think about it. Uh when when you give your faith promise commitment this year, uh Just just remember these words. Is this really going to be generous? Is it generous in comparison to what I spend on hairdos and cosmetics and hunting and fishing and bowling and basketball and golf and all those things and so forth? Now, I'm not against those things, okay? I I, I don't see why anybody would waste time hunting and fishing. I mean, you know, if you had time and money extra, you or to do something constructive like playing golf, okay? (laughs) I'm not against those things. There's nothing wrong with God's people having good things. But in comparison with the things we spend money for like that, is my faith promise commitment, is it really going to be a generous offer? Uh, Am I going to give sacrificially this year? Am I going to give joyfully and willingly? And then when it's all over, I'm just going to bow my head and say, okay, God. It, it all came from you anyway. That's proper giving. Now, what is the result of proper giving? And I'll give you this real quickly, okay? I guarantee it won't take me over an hour and a half, okay? What's the result of proper giving? The three simple things. Think about it. Number one, proper giving provokes God's pleasure. Uh, the Bible says... God loveth a cheerful giver. And so when I give generously, when I give willingly, when I give joyfully, when when I give humbly, the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. And by the way, isn't it wonderful to think we can do some things that God would say to us, I like that, I love that. Uh, I believe from the depth of my heart that God looks down here at Gospel Baptist Church here tonight, and he says, look at those people. They could be doing all kinds of things like other people, but they love me, and they've come to my house to hear the word of God, and they've come to pray, and they've come to sing songs, and they've come to learn how they can be more involved in world evangelization. And I believe from my heart, the depth of my heart, I believe God looks down and says, I like that. Uh, I believe when I put my offering in Sunday morning, Sunday night, whenever I do, okay? I put my offering in the offering place, my tithes and my offering. I believe God looks down from heaven and says, I like that. By the way, time after time after time in the Bible, God commends people. I've often thought we spend more time condemning people than we do commending them. Uh, it'd be a good idea just to try to find somebody doing something good and commend them, amen? And, and, and God said, the Bible says, God loves a cheerful giver. So proper giving provokes God's pleasure. God looks at the one that gives properly and says, I like that, I like that. Number two, proper giving perpetuates God's provision. you uh, all the tithes into the storehouse and see if I'll not open the windows of heaven. The proper giving perpetuates God's provision. In other words, when we give, God keeps giving. I, I love Luke 6, 38. Give, and it shall be given unto you, good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give unto your bosom. For the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Listen to that. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Proper giving perpetuates God's provision. Uh, I don't know, five or six years ago. I forget when it started. But they began to talk about the Great Recession. Okay? Now, some people even compared it to the Depression. It was nothing like the Depression. Okay? I lived through the Depression. It was not anything like the Depression. But there was a real recession. Okay? And uh, television, radio, everywhere you look, Things are bad, the economy is bad, it's a recession, a recession, and so forth. And I remember at our mission conference that I made this statement. I have heard that there is a real recession, and I have determined that I will not participate. And you say, okay, Brother Sis, how in the world do you refuse to participate in a recession? Luke 638. Give, and it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give unto your bosom. Now, notice what he did not say. When the economy is good and everything is going well for you give, and it shall be given to you. No, no, no. Aren't we thrilled tonight that God is in, in control of the economy? See, we're not dependent on the economy of a company or a country. We are dependent on God. And God is promising. He is able to make all grace abound towards you that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. And what the Bible is simply saying is when we begin to give then God gives to us and as we give, God continues to give to us. And I believe from the depth of our heart we can give our way out of poverty. We can give our way out of a recession. Proper giving perpetuates God's provision. By the way, I, I like the statement somebody made many, many years ago. I put it in with a spoon, and God puts it in with a big shovel. I put a shovel full in, and God picks up a big bulldozer and dumps a whole truckload in there. It. It's been said thousands of times. Hardly anybody's ever tried to prove it. But you cannot give God. I mean, it's just that simple, amen. it? Proper giving perpetuates God's provision. Then number three, proper giving protects God's people. It's more blessed to give than to receive. If I live to give, then that protects me from jealousy. In other words, hey, it doesn't matter how much God gives somebody else. God hasn't run out of blessings, amen? And and since I'm not just living to get something, then it, it doesn't matter. And, and by the way, if you can't rejoice in what God does for other people, uh, probably nothing will ever happen good to you that, that, that you can rejoice about, okay? And, and learn to rejoice about the blessings of God on other people. And proper giving, it protects us from greed. In other words, I'm not just getting something to clutch and hold and keep my own self. Uh, I'm getting something so I can give. Somebody asked me one time, Brother do you live to do you give to get? And I said, yes, I give to get so I can give more, so I can get more, so I can give more. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay. Proper giving protects God's people. Paul said the love of money is the root of all evil. And givers do not love money. We use money, but we do not love money. I remember one fellow said to me one time, said to somebody, no, no need to worry about it, Brother Sis. Brother says, lives on faith. And I said, oh, no, no, no. I live by faith, but I live on money just like you. Amen? <laughs> I mean, you know, so, so money is necessary. Nothing wrong with it. But, but then when you, you begin to love money and just everything in, in your system and so forth is just concerned about how much you're going to give, that's the love of money is the root of all evil. But proper giving protects us from that greed. Listen to the words of Jesus. is more blessed to give than to receive. And you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. Jesus Christ shed his rich red royal blood on Calvary Street. He gave. He gave his all, his very life. And today, there are millions and millions and millions of believers in heaven. There are millions and millions and millions of believers right here on the face of the earth because of what Jesus gave. And he is the one that said, hey, it's more blessed to give than receive. Let's bow our heads for prayer.